Well, if you would, at this time, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at the Christmas story this morning. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through verse number 7. And as you're finding that, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But we're going to look at it once again, and the title today is A Season to Rejoice. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And let's pray together one more time. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity to be in your house, to look at this special, precious passage of Scripture, Lord, especially this time of year. And Lord, help us to remember that this is indeed the reason for the season. And this uh, is why we celebrate. This is why we um, enjoy this time of year. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to rejoice this season and every season. Uh, because you do call us to a life of rejoicing. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, the wisest man who ever lived, aside from Jesus Christ himself, was a man by the name of Solomon. And in one of his books that he wrote, which was the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 3, he said this, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Uh, There is a a season for everything, and and I'm thankful for the fact that there is a summer, but that summer here in Oklahoma doesn't stay forever, and that eventually we get to fall. It takes us a while to get there, Uh, but but we eventually get to fall, and then then it doesn't stay fall forever. Then we go into the wintertime. I'm thankful, and and, uh, we have some guests here from Great Falls, Montana, they are about a. They live about an hour away from where we used to live in in Helena, and uh, we were very thankful for when the the winter was over in Montana. Uh, really, there was uh, you know they said three seasons in Montana, right? It was winter, the Fourth of July, and then winter. Uh, but uh, no, it, it there was there was a little bit more seasons there in in Montana. Well, there's definitely something special about Christmas time, isn't there? It is a time of joy. I'm thankful that uh, we got back to in America saying Merry Christmas instead of just Happy Holidays. I'm thankful for that, and thank you, President Trump, for that. Um, It's a wonderful time of the year. I mean, we have parties. We have good food. We have get-togethers. We have lights, decorations. We have good food. We have gifts. And did I mention food? Yes, it is a time of joy. In fact, the word joy is mentioned 
several different times in the Christmas story alone. I think about in the book of Luke, chapter 1. It says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. Do you remember that part of the story? Uh, a couple of verses later, uh, Mary made this comment, For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, uh, this is Elizabeth speaking here, um, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Now, I remember when uh, my wife was pregnant with our children and, and they began to start moving and she can begin to start feeling it. And, and then it was a little creepy when she said, here, put your hand on my, on my stomach and feel this. It was creepy. Uh, just having these little things moving in this and my wife, it wasn't, it just was creepy to me. But here, uh, John the Baptist was jumping for joy at the fact that Jesus was, would be coming soon. Uh, so joy was found there. And then, um, and then Mary's response to all of that was, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. So joy was present there in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 10. Your Bible's open to chapter 2. If you look at verse 10, here the angel makes the, a great announcement here, and he says, they say to the, the scared shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then in Matthew chapter 2, uh, when the wise men saw the star, do you remember that part of the story? This is a little later on after, after Jesus was born. Uh, when the wise men saw the star, the Bible star, the Bible says they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So joy, this is a story of joy. This is a story where where God is calming some fears. Right when the angel appears to all of these different people, their first response is fear and being scared. And certainly, I can understand that. But but after they realize what's going on, their response is great joy. Many of the Christian uh, Christmas hymns that we enjoy singing this time of year, they also mention joy. Here's a couple examples. Uh, the song, What Child Is This? Uh, one of the lyrics in that song says, Raise, raise the song on high, the virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Uh, I think about my favorite Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Hark the herald angels sing. That song starts with the word joyful. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. What about God rest ye merry gentlemen? Uh, the chorus of that song I believe says O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. And then who could forget the very famous one? You're probably wondering why I didn't already mention it. But it, the name joy is in the name of the song. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. O come all ye faithful as well. Joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to be. This is a time of joy. It's a season to rejoice. Well, if you've been coming to Cornerstone Recently, we've been going through a series in the book of Philippians called Rejoice in the Lord, and we've been learning to rejoice in the Lord despite our circumstances. Whether they're good or whether they're not so good, we can still rejoice in God because God is always good. 
That's what we've been learning. And we're going to carry that thought over to this uh, sermon and this message this morning. So whether or not you feel like it's going to be a really good Christmas this year, I mean, maybe you're getting together with your family and everything has come together and it's, it's just going to be the perfect Christmas. Or whether it's like, I just can't get into the holiday spirit this year. Like I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with uh, having a good attitude this Christmas. Maybe that's you. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe your funds are low this year. Maybe health isn't that great this year. I'm telling you, you can still rejoice this Christmas because it is a season to rejoice. And this morning, I want to take this passage and point out three reasons that all of us can rejoice this Christmas. All right. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how you think things are going in your life, you can still rejoice in all three of these uh, these truths this morning. First of all, in this story, I want us to notice that we can rejoice in God's providence. In God's providence, uh, this is a big word that basically means that uh, God is in control of what's going on. Uh, there are several stories in the Word of God in the Bible that highlight the providence of God or the sovereignty of God. And yet the Christmas story shines the spotlight on the sovereignty of God in an amazing way. Uh, over 350 times in the Old Testament, prophecies were given concerning Jesus' coming. And this was, of course, hundreds of years before His birth. Uh, one such prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 7, and verse 14, and most of us are familiar with this one. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. And later in the New Testament, we learn what Emmanuel means. It means God with us. But the Lord didn't just promise that this would happen. He also made it come to pass, praise the Lord. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. You see, God said it was going to happen, and then, boom, it did happen. You see, God, what God says is going to happen is going to happen. Uh, the sovereignty of God or the providence of God, however you want to word that, is a challenging topic for sure. But uh, I'd like to try to explain it in part in the following three ways. And again, I'm not an expert on this. I don't think anyone is, uh, except for God Himself, because the sovereignty of God can cannot really be explained because we're finite and God is infinite. But I'm going to make an attempt to try to explain it in three different ways. First of all, the providence of God means that He is the authority in charge. He is the authority in charge. You see, He is on the throne and He has the right to be in charge. Psalm 22 and verse 28 says, For the kingdom is the Lord's and He is the governor among the nations. Psalm 103 verse 19, The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens and His kingdom ruleth over all. So God is on the throne. Now, Caesar Augustus in chapter 2, verse 1, thought he was on the throne, and he was on an earthly throne. But ultimately, God was on the greater throne, and he is, was in charge of all of it. And I've shared this story before, but I think it bears repeating here. Uh, Governor Herder uh, said, excuse me. Uh, we, well, let me back up here. Governor Herder 
uh, was out uh, campaigning for uh, being reelected. And uh, he was out and had a long day of, of uh, campaigning and meeting folks. And, and uh, he happened upon this church that was having a, a picnic after their uh, Sunday morning service. And he thought, well, hey, I'll do a little campaigning here and maybe I can get some lunch. I can score some lunch. And so he, he goes through this line and, and uh, he gets a piece of fried chicken on his plate. And uh, he says this, he says, excuse me. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken to the lady serving the chicken? The woman told him, sorry, I'm supposed to give only one piece of chicken to each person. Well, but, but I'm starved, the governor said. I'm really hungry. Sorry, the woman said again, only one to a customer. Well, Governor Herder was a modest and an unassuming man, but he decided this time he's going to play his governor card. Do you know who I am, he said? I am the governor of this state. Well, the woman said, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. <laughs> and you know, a lot, of, a lot of earthly kings think that they're the ones in charge, but the Lord says, move along, mister. I'm the one really in charge. And so when we think about the uh, providence of God, we need to understand that he is the authority in charge and he has the right to be because he's God. Well, not only is he the authority in charge, he's also always in control. Even though Caesar Augustus thought he was the one in control and calling the shots, actually it wasn't Caesar Augustus at all. It was ultimately God. Now, we'll get to uh, the next thought here in a moment, which kind of ties these together, but, but God was in control of all of this. You see, God promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So here in this uh, verse, God promises that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. This was not accidental. This wasn't coincidental. This was something that God had promised many years before. So God was going to fulfill those prophecies, and so he orchestrated everything to make that happen, including using a decree from Caesar Augustus. As he's sitting there and he's like, all right, what are we going to, what's the next thing on the agenda today? Oh, we need to issue a decree to have everybody come to their, uh, their, their places of taxation and, and uh, we're going to go ahead and send this decree out. Well, ultimately, it was God that was in control there in all of that. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 21 and verse 1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. That means that, look, God is able to use anyone, and God is ultimately in control. By the way, there has never been a time when God was not totally and completely in control in this world throughout history. And can I say this? There's never been a time when God was not totally and completely in control in your life as well. Nahum 1 verse 3. The Bible says, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. And here's the part I want you to really focus in on, on this verse. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. 
Every storm that God allows into our lives, the Lord has a purpose and a plan for it all. Again, we may not like invite these storms and these trials into our life, but but God will have his way in the whirlwind and in the storm. And those things don't bother him. In fact, he actually uses them. And he used this decree, this taxation. Amazing how the Lord can use taxation. But he did in this situation uh, to cause Joseph and Mary, they were in uh, Nazareth at the time, and God said, well, Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem, so we're going to have to get them up there. Here's how we're going to do it. The Lord was in control. And uh, so uh, he's always in control. And by the way, again, in my life and in yours, everything that goes on in our lives is not an accident with God. God didn't say, oops, I didn't know that that was going to happen in their life. Uh, I should have worked on that one a little bit. should have thought about, no. God is completely and totally in control at all times in every aspect of, of, of the world and in our individual lives. But thirdly here, he not only is the authority in charge and always in control, he also allows us to choose. In all of this, he still allows us the choice. Caesar Augustus still had the choice to make on whether to issue this decree and And I suppose Joseph and Mary also had the choice whether they were going to go to Bethlehem or not. The Lord used these choices to cause his prophecy to be fulfilled. And it it, it points to the fact that God's providence is a real thing. And hopefully will help us to rejoice in his providence in our own lives as well. You see, the sovereignty of God or, or the providence of God was vividly on display during the story of Christmas. But friend, that's not the only time it was on display. In fact, God's providence is always on display. It's display in the, it's on display in this world and it's on display in your life right now as well. Psalm 37 and verse 23, the Bible says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Have you ever uh, thought about this? Uh, there are no accidents with God. See, the Lord guides our steps, and He directs our way, and uh, He delighteth in His way. And it's amazing how the Lord does that, and it's great once we get that in our minds and in our hearts, that the Lord is sovereign, and His providence is real. And it was on display here in this chapter, in this passage, in the Christmas story. So we can rejoice in God's providence, but we can also rejoice, secondly, in God's provision. God's provision. Verse number seven, of course, she shall bring, or she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So thankful that she did indeed bring forth her firstborn son, and that God did provide an amazing gift for all of us. You know, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, he would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, he would have sent us a financial advisor. If our greatest need had been pleasure, he would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a Savior. In verse number 11, it says, 
Uh, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. So what did God provide for us? Well, first of all, he gave us himself. He gave us himself, which was, by the way, the greatest gift that he could give. He gave us himself. Matthew 1, 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. This is referring back to a prophecy. And shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, which being interpreted is God with us. So when Jesus came and was born, now we have God dwelling with us. John 1 and verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I like this story in the book of Genesis. For those who are familiar with it, it's the story of Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son on this mountain, Mount Moriah. (coughs) Excuse me. As they're making their way up to the uh, mountain to do this sacrifice, uh, Isaac is unaware of what's actually happening. He knows there's going to be a sacrifice. He didn't realize that he himself was going to be the sacrifice. And so as they make their way up in verse 7 of Genesis 22, it says, Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and he said, uh, my father? And he said, well, here I here here am I, my son. And he said, well, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Then Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Definitely a play on words here, but God did provide a substitute for Isaac. And that was a ram caught in the thicket. But God provided the ultimate substitute for us. And that was the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. You see, God provided Himself as a Lamb. And He became the Lamb of God, which would take away the sins of the world for those who would uh, believe and trust in Him. Stories told of a woman who left her husband. They weren't getting along, and she decided to leave. Husband called the police and filed the missing, missing persons report. A few weeks later, the police found her a few counties over. They asked him if he wanted them to take him to her, but by now the husband had realized how poorly he had treated his wife, and he decided, you know what, I need to write my wife. And so he wrote letters to her, and he did this for months. Finally, Christmas came, and he decided he was going to go see her. She uh, was found in a run-down hotel, again, several counties over. And then he asked her to come home with him, and she decided that she would come home. On the way home, he said, you know, I've written you for months. Why did you come home so easily now? She replied, because those were just letters. This time you came in person. You know, Jesus came in person as well, because he wanted us to come home with him as well. And the only way we could is if we would trust in Him alone for our salvation. Psalm 16 and verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. As I said, 
rejoice in God's provision, uh, the provision of His presence. I want to share a story. It's a little bit lengthy, but bear with me as I share it. There once was a man who didn't believe in God. He didn't hesitate to let others know how he felt about religion and religious holidays. But his wife, however, did believe, and she raised their children to also have faith in God, uh, despite his disparaging comments. Well, one snowy evening, his wife was taking their children to a service in the farm community in which they lived. They were going to talk about Jesus' birth, and she really asked him to come, but he refused. That story about Jesus coming to this earth is nonsense. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? That's, that's ridiculous. So she and the children left, and he stayed home. A while later, the winds grew stronger, and the snow turned into a blizzard. As the man looked out the window, all he saw was a blinding snowstorm. It reminds me of some of the days in Montana. He sat down to relax before the fire for the evening. Then he heard a loud thump. Boom. Something had hit the window. He looked out but couldn't see more than a few feet. When the snow let up a little, he ventured outside to see what could have been beating on his window. In the field near his house, he saw a flock of wild geese. Apparently, they had been flying south for the winter when they got caught in that snowstorm and couldn't go on. They were lost and stranded on his farm with no food or shelter. They just flapped their wings and flew around the field in low circles, blindly and aimlessly. A couple of them had flown into his window, it seemed. Well, the man felt sorry for these geese and wanted to help them. Well, the barn that they had would be a great place for them to stay, he thought. I mean, it's warm and safe. Surely they could spend the night and wait out the storm. So he walked over to the barn and opened the doors wide, then watched and waited. I'm mean, surely they would go into this barn knowing that it would be best for them. Well, but the geese just fluttered around aimlessly and didn't seem to notice the barn at all or realize what it could mean for them. The man tried to get their attention, but that just seemed to scare them, and they moved further away. He went into the house and came with some bread, broke it up and made a breadcrumb trail leading to the barn. But that still didn't work. Now he's getting frustrated. He decided to get behind them and try to shoo them toward the barn. They only got more scared and scattered in every direction except towards the barn. Nothing he did could get them to go into the barn where they would be warm and safe. Why don't they follow me, he exclaimed. Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive the storm? He thought for a moment and realized that they just wouldn't follow a human. If only I were a goose, then I could save him. He said out loud. Then he had an idea. He went into his barn, got one of his own geese, and carried it in his arms as he circled around behind the flock of wild geese. He then released it. His goose flew through the flock straight into the barn. And one by one, the other geese followed it to safety. He stood silently for a moment as the words he had spoken a few minutes earlier replayed in his mind, If only I were a goose, then I could save them. Then he thought about what he had said to his wife earlier. Why would God want to be like us? That's ridiculous. And suddenly it clicked. That is what God had done. We were like the geese, blind and lost, perishing. But God had sent his son 
to become like us, that so he could show us the way and lead us home. That's why he came. So this Christmas, again, you may not get the gift that you had hoped you would get, but there is a greater gift. And if you've received it, you have reason to rejoice this season. And if you haven't, boy, can I encourage you to receive it today. Chapter 2 and verse number 7, it says at the end of that verse, because there was no room for them in the inn. Oh, this is a famous part of the story that really that's all the Bible says about it. We don't know the innkeeper. We don't even know exactly what that really meant. I've read some commentaries on it, and, and people don't seem to think that there was an actual like hotel keeper there that said, no, we're out of rooms. Uh, that maybe it was... Uh, part of a hired house that I, I, I'm not exactly sure totally what it means, but here's the point. The point is there are a lot of people in this world who don't have room for Christ. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you have room in your life and in your heart for Him. There are a few people, a few type of people that, that don't have room for Him. The materialistic man has no room for Christ. Because they're so focused on things, they're so focused on getting the latest, greatest technology, the latest, greatest toy, the newest thing in their life, and they think that those will bring satisfaction. But Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Don't get so focused on things that you have no room for him. The materialistic man has no room. The intellectual man also has no room because he knows too much. And he thinks, you know what? I've got an education. I've got several letters after my name. Therefore, I don't need him. There's no room for him. Well, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Those who claim to be wise became fools. And those who think they know more than God are fooling themselves. And those who think there is no God, the Bible says, they are a fool. The intellectual man has no room, and then the religious man has no room. You say, that's strange. Aren't we in a religious building? Not really. I mean, I guess you could make a case for it to some degree, but we're more about a relationship with Christ than we are about any type of religion. A religion in the Bible is usually painted in a negative light, uh, contrary to what people believe. Uh, religion has done more harm than good in this world and in history. But a relationship with Jesus Christ can bring someone salvation and can bring someone forgiveness of sins. The religious man has no room because he's so focused on his upbringing and his tradition and his set of rules that he's trying to keep in order to appease or uh, uh, get God's approval. But John 1 and verse number 10, He was in the world and the world was made by Him. The world knew Him not. But Jesus came unto His own and His own sadly received Him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So 
as we go through this season, it is a season to rejoice. We can rejoice in God's providence. We can rejoice in God's provision, what he provided for us. He provided himself, but he also provided us and gave us the way, the truth, and the life. As Jesus was born there, we just heard a song a few minutes ago about a way in a manger. But friend, it wasn't just a way in a manger, and I know it's a different uh, version of the way I'm saying it here, but it was the way in the manger, the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He was the way. There he was, the way in the manger. He was and is the way to eternal life with God. He is the way to abundant life here on earth. He is the way to forgiveness of sins. He is the way to a purposeful life. He is the way. He's also the truth. There is, uh, he is the source of all truth, and He is the source of all life. And so we can rejoice in what God gave us this year. Now, or gave us this, this during this first Christmas. Now, you may get some gifts this year that you're going to like, eh, wrong color, wrong size. You might get a gift card and say, not big enough. <laughs> but look, as you think about this gift, it was everything we needed and more. We needed a Savior, and God gave us a Savior. Thirdly, uh, this morning, quickly, we can rejoice finally in God's promise. We can rejoice in God's promise. In chapter 2, verse 7, a little detail that often gets skipped over here. It says, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in wrapping paper. No, and notice it was she that wrapped him, not Joseph, because Joseph probably couldn't wrap anything just like most men can't wrap anything. Um, I read a quote uh, earlier this week, or maybe it was the last couple days. It says, if you, if you believe in equality of genders, have you ever seen a man try to wrap a Christmas gift? Because <laughs> uh, women certainly uh, do way better at that than men, at least in my case. But notice she wrapped him in swaddling clothes. That's a significant detail. In fact, it's mentioned again in verse number 12. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the, wrapped, uh, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why the swaddling clothes? Well, really, uh, spoiler alert, and I'll just get to it. Those swaddling clothes were not a clothes normally given to a newborn. They were given to a dead corpse. They were grave clothes. And of course, the uh, point of all of that, it shows us that Jesus was born for the purpose of dying, to becoming our sacrifice, to becoming our substitute on the cross of Calvary. When Jesus came, he came with the promise of forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life with God in heaven, and the promise of abundant life here on earth. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to share just some characteristics and some uh, descriptions of this, uh, this gift, this promise that uh, I want to share with you quickly this morning. First of all, this promise is for everyone. It is for everyone. 
This promise isn't just for the religious elect. This isn't just for the, uh, those who have a, a high status in society. No, no, this is for everyone. Verse number 10 of this chapter, it says, The angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to how many people? All people. So friend, it does not matter your religious background, how many degrees you have, or how many letters you have after your name. It does not matter what side of the tracks you grew up on, or how big your bank account is. It does not matter what side of the political aisle you are on. It does not matter how popular you are, or how clean your record is. This promise of eternal life is for and to all people. Remember the little the song we sing sometimes to the children? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. It is for everyone. But not only is it for everyone, secondly, it's for you. While this gift, while this promise is for everyone, each person must make the personal choice to receive this gift for themselves. So the question I have for you this Christmas Sunday in 2019 is, have you received the promise of eternal life? Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior by believing on Him? Have you done that? You see, he came to this earth in the form of a little baby in Bethlehem's manger for you. He lived a perfect and sinless life for you. Then he died on the cross and was tortured for you. That wasn't the end. No, you see, three days later, he rose from the grave for you. Yes, he did it for everybody, but he also did it specifically for you, as if you were the only one in this world who needed it. He did it for you. It's kind of interesting to note that my personal salvation testimony occurred on Christmas night. It's kind of a special time of year for me as a believer. Yes, I enjoy a lot of this stuff and, and the, the hoopla that goes along with Christmas. Well, at least some of it I like it. Some of it. Uh, but as a Christian, I can't help but think on Christmas night back in 19. 19- 88, when I was 12 years old, when I personally received this promise we're talking about. When I was going through a religious book, again, religion I know, but, um, but it, was, it was a book that I was trying to go through for my Royal Rangers program that I was in. I was trying to go from a buckaroo to a pioneer. In order to do that, I had to do a lot of different things in this booklet. And uh, I had to memorize John 3, 16, 17, and 18, memorize the 23rd Psalm, read through one of the Gospels, help, you know, help people with different community projects and do different things. And I was working on this booklet on Christmas night after all the gifts had been opened, Christmas dinner had been eaten, and we're all kind of doing our own separate things. And I was there in my dining room, and I was looking at this booklet, trying to complete the different things. And it came to a question. It said, please write the date that you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I remember looking at that going, boy, I've heard about doing that. I know I should have done that. But I honestly have never believed on Christ alone personally. I know it's for everyone. 
but I don't know that I've ever made that choice. And so right then and there, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation. On Christmas night, 1988, what a gift. I don't remember the other gifts I got that year, but that one, boy, I remember that one. And that one is never going to, like, break. It's never going to, like, fade away. It's not going to rip. It's not going to dissolve. It's going to last for all of eternity. I'm thankful for it. Has there been a time, and you may not know the date, but has there been a time in your life when you can look back and say, that's when I trusted Christ as my Savior? It may not even be a certain day, but maybe a season of life. Maybe a time when you say, well, that's when I place my faith in Christ alone. I stopped trusting myself and my good works. And that leads me to the third thought here. This promise cannot be earned or purchased. There's nothing you can do to earn this gift. There's nothing you can, uh, no amount of good works, no amount of money that you can give to purchase this gift. Oh, no. This gift is indeed priceless. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing we can do to earn this gift. You can't go to church. You can't. Look, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that that means I'm, I have received this gift. Now, hopefully, I've received this gift if I'm a pastor, okay? But I'm not going to heaven because I'm a pastor, I'm not going to heaven because I do good things. It's not any of that. It's because I've placed my faith in Christ alone. And that's the only way anyone gets to heaven. Fourthly, this gift, this promise is received by faith alone. It's received by faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. How many of you um, are going to be flying out of town for Christmas? Anybody like that? Nobody is flying out of town. How many of you have ever been on an airplane? Would you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. I knew I'd get some hands raised eventually. Okay. Flying on an airplane is kind of crazy, if you think about it. I mean, you're trusting all the mechanics, the designers of this airplane, you're, you're, you're trusting all of the, those who service this airplane to make sure that it's not going to you know, break when you're 30,000 feet in the air. Uh, you're trusting the pilots that they know what they're doing. I was crazy enough to get into an airplane with my son Seth flying. That is crazy because I know my son Seth, and actually he did a fantastic job. He's actually... Uh, becoming quite a good pilot. But you think about it, when you get on a plane, you're putting your entire faith in all those people who made that plane work. That's the type of faith we need to have when it comes to placing our faith in Christ. Not just a, oh yeah, I know Jesus exists. But I'm placing my whole faith in Him to forgive me of my sins and to take me to heaven someday when I die. It's received by faith. And then last thought here, this promise is eternal. Unlike some of the other gifts you'll receive this Christmas, this one will last for all of eternity. 
John 3.16, most of us know this verse, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And boy, isn't that a great part of Christmas. That's a key Christmas verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but here it is, but have everlasting life. This gift is never going to go away. This gift actually is only going to get better as time goes on. Um, this is the gift that it does indeed keep on giving. I read that Americans have 45.7, get this, billion dollars of unused gift cards since 2005. A lot of us may get some gift cards this Christmas, maybe you already have. And, you know, you may spend a good chunk of it, and then the rest of it sits in your wallet or in the bottom of your purse. Um, and if it's in the bottom of the purse, it's never to be found again, I promise you that. But think about that. I mean, obviously, that's a lot of Starbucks. That's a lot of, you know, Macy's. That's a lot of, you know, Outback Steakhouse that has not been used. Have you used the gift that God has given you? Or do you just know about it and say, well, that's sure nice of God to do that, but you know what? I'm not going to utilize it. That was very generous of you, God, to send your only begotten son to this earth, but, you know, just not for me. I don't really need it. Uh, you don't know, you don't realize how much you need it. This promise, have you received it? We can rejoice in God's promise this Christmas. Regardless of how your Christmas will be this year, you and I both have great reasons to truly, truly rejoice. We can rejoice in God's providence that He was completely in control during the events that led to Christ's birth and that He is in control during all of the events of my life and yours. We can rejoice in God's provision and that He gave us the greatest gift He could give. And that was himself who also happened to be the way, the truth, and the life. And praise the Lord, we can rejoice in God's promise that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have the promise of a relationship with God. We can have the promise of forgiveness of sins, abundant life here on earth, and a divine purpose for our lives, and a brand new nature. We become a new creature in Christ. What tremendous promises. So look again, I know that you know, for some, it's going to be a great Christmas, and for some, not the best Christmas, and for some, kind of an in-between Christmas. Look, we have reason to rejoice. All of us do. We can rejoice in God's providence and His provision and in His promise. No wonder the songwriter penned the words to the famous Christmas hymn, Good Christian Friends Rejoice, with heart and soul and voice. Now ye need not fear the grave. Jesus Christ was born to save. Good Christian friends, rejoice. It's a season to rejoice. Let's do that this year. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for all that you did this in the first Christmas story. Lord, your providence, your sovereignty was ever on display there. It is ever on display in all of our lives, whether we recognize it or not. But help us to understand that you are in control of what's going on even right now in our hearts and lives. Lord, thank you for your provision, and Lord, the greatest gift we could ever get 
was given that day when Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. Lord, thank you for the promise that if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, we have the promise of forgiveness of sins. We have the promise of eternal life with you in heaven. Lord, I pray if there's one here today that hasn't ever placed their faith and trust in you, maybe they have heard about it, maybe they've known about it for some time, but they've never made the choice to believe. Oh, I pray that today they would do that. And for those of us who have, I pray, Lord, that we would uh, get our minds off and, and, uh, and focuses off of the circumstances of this Christmas season and focus on the fact that you have provided so much and your promise is so amazing and wonderful and that your providence is ever on display. I pray you'd help us to realize all of this.